Welcome to Occult of Personality, Esoteric Podcast Extraordinaire. I'm your host, Greg Kaminsky, and Billy Hepper is your co-host. Now, in episode number 216, author, speaker, and our good friend, Angel Millar, returns to the show to discuss his most recent book, The Path of the Warrior Mystic, Being a Man in an Age of Chaos. Personally, I find Millar's writing to be inspirational, motivational, beneficial, and eminently practical. His most recent book, The Path of the Warrior Mystic, meets us where we are as modern men and helps us to understand the work required to realize our potential. If you want to understand the truth of your situation and how to make it better, I highly recommend Angel's book. If you read it and implement its recommendations, your life will begin to change for the better. Angel Millar is a well-known lecturer on initiation, symbolism, Freemasonry, and self-development, as well as an artist and student of the martial arts. The author of several books, including The Three Stages of Initiatic Spirituality and The Path of the Warrior Mystic. You can find him online at angelmillar.com. A Cult of Personality podcast is made possible by you, the listeners, and by the subscribers to chamberofreflection.com, our membership website, who aids us in the cause of informed, authentic, and accessible interviews about Western esotericism. Thank you again. Because of your support, we're able to bring you recordings of this caliber and many more to come. Anathema Publishing Limited quality occult books, and contemporary esoterica. Established in 2011, Anathema Publishing aims to provide superior literature in content and form by creating a trinosophic relationship in troth and gabo between publisher, author, and reader. Anathema Publishing produces refined books for the true bibliophile on topics ranging from Gnosticism, traditional craft, alchemy, hermeticism, witchcraft, to Luciferian theosophy. www.anathemapublishing.com The intro music is Awakening by Paul Avgerinos. And the outro music is Forbidden Zone by Equinox. Angel Millar, it's really a pleasure to welcome you back to Occult of Personality podcast once again to discuss your most recent book, The Path of the Warrior Mystic. Uh, thank you so much for joining us again. Oh, thank you. It's always great to be speaking with you. Thanks for coming on to the show today, Angel. It's great to finally be able to sit down with you. So thanks for taking the yeah, time for likewise. us. Likewise, thank you. Um, before we begin, I just wanted to say how much I enjoyed your book. Uh, I felt like it addressed so many aspects of development and growth in mm. terms of what we face uh, now, but it also, you know, harkens back so much to the ancient world and right, right you know it's just wonderful to read and i feel like it, 
your development of, as a writer is absolutely tremendous. And I, you know, each time we talk about uh, one of your books, I feel like, well, this book is really, really amazing. And then the next one is like even better. <laughs> and so that's just, it's just wonderful, good, good. wonderful, really be able to, to watch your growth as a, as an author and, and reap the benefits of that. So Great. I just thank wanted you. to express that before we begin. Uh, thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. Welcome. So Billy, why don't you kick things off for us? Yeah. I mean, I just have to say this interview is going to be, I think, extra special for me. I spent so long reading and listening to both you guys, Angel and Greg, especially back when I was, you know, first sort of seriously exploring Freemasonry and dipping my toes in the water in the whole Western esoteric tradition. So it's very meaningful personally to to be able to speak with you today. So thank you. All right. Thank you. Um, Angel, as you know, I've been a big fan of your books for a long time now, and I've been sort of watching your career develop from the sidelines over the years. And it's interesting to see how it's sort of evolved. I mean, you started out writing a lot about Freemasonry, which is, of course, a passion mm -hmm. that all three of us share. And from there, it's sort of evolved into more, I guess you could say, esoteric topics, you know, dealing with things like magic, initiation, of course, mm -hmm. a exploration of these three archetypes, the craftsman, the warrior, and magician. And finally, in your new book, The Path of the Warrior Mystic, really sort of doubling down on this new focus, which seems to be more about self-development, or I guess you could say the, the realization of the higher self, particularly for men. Yeah, 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 indeed, absolutely. My question is, did you always have an interest in sort of mentoring and offering advice to men, or is this a role that you sort of took on out of necessity? Tell us a, a little bit about yeah. what inspired you to write this new book. Yeah, so really, um, what it, it, it was spurred uh, on by my experiences of going around America in particular and meeting lots of different young men, and, and really the common theme across the United States being um, the young young men or even older men uh, really felt that they had had no real initiation into manhood and no uh, no guidance into manhood or even adulthood uh, more generally and uh, and certainly this was uh, an experience that I shared with them you know I didn't really receive any proper guidance uh, about becoming a man. And, um, you know, I, I think it's also the case in Great Britain and many other Western countries as well. And, um, you know, while that's been the case for many decades, um, I think what's, what's different now is that there's a great deal of um, uh, hostility towards uh, men and manhood in general, which we see in the media uh, really every day. And, um, you know, I would not want to be a young man growing up today uh, being told that everything about me was somehow to blame for everything that's gone wrong in the world. And at the same time, having no positive role models, no guidance as to how to actually uh, act, especially from other men, of course, that, are, that have become successful in any kind of area. Yeah. And I think, the, you know, what society doesn't want to recognize is that the vast majority of men, probably 40 and under, maybe even 50 or 60 and under, are really, in a sense, uh, adrift and don't understand what it is to be a man uh, and uh, have had no guidance in that area at all and are generally uh, unhappy and, uh, in a sense, are kind of very lost in the world and uh, trying to grab onto any kind of um, uh, meaning or any kind of guidance that they can, but none is really uh, what they need. 
Yeah. And I, I totally agree. I, I just have to say it was such a joy to to read a self-development book for men that is actually focused on, you know, some of the more traditional classical philosophies and virtues. And it doesn't get into the usual mm-hmm. sort of tiresome men's self-help tropes that we find out there right now, right. which can actually right. be quite toxic. So I really yeah, feel like, no, yeah. Yeah, there's no chest beating in there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't have that macho sort of thing going on no not at all and you know i think what i make pretty clear from from the first chapter is that it's really about integrating these different aspects and becoming a whole person and you know at the end of uh, chapter one i'd say that you know if you consider yourself to be a a really masculine guy take up poetry and meditation and if you consider yourself to be a feminine man uh, take up uh, you know weightlifting and martial arts Mm. And, that, you know, that way you can discover who you really are because, uh, you know, we we in the West, um, in the modern West, are really uh, are told that we should be uh, in a niche, we should specialize, we should be one thing. And, you know, you know and I, I don't want to be critical of women, but women think of themselves as very open-minded. But, but at the same time, women will be open-minded towards, you know, let's say more feminine men, that is true. But um, what I have come across is that both men and women in society um, do do not like the idea of uh, men who are, let's say, who meditate, who are artistic, who can write well, who can talk confidently in public, and who work out and are physically strong and do martial arts and can handle themselves in a violent confrontation. And, uh, you know, when you look at the the warrior archetype, and if you look at uh, the higher type of warrior across civilizations and throughout time, in, in fact, you find that the greatest warriors were also uh, great poets or artists. They had a spiritual practice that they that they practiced every day and um so you know you find that the warrior really is in a sense a kind of also an artist and a and a you in a sense his own priest as well and um you know i'm against uh, the cliches of gender as much as anyone else but i think the you know what is offered today is very much um is a, is a modern or a postmodern idea of what we should be. And actually, if we look across time and across civilizations, uh, which presumably know something about uh, sustaining healthy cultures, uh, you know, you do find that the warrior is this uh, complex of uh, what we would call masculine and feminine elements. There's no need to call them that, that these people are just well integrated. So uh, that, I think, is the aim. For probably men and women, but no one is saying this to men. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I absolutely agree, and I just feel like there's so little out there right now, which is sort of in the vein of what you're offering in this new book, which is really yeah. practical sort of life advice for guys. I think it's really commendable what you've done, and I love how you kind of balance these, you know, mythological stories, you know, the tales of the Green Knight and that sort of thing, um, and philosophy, right. but. At the same time, you keep it very grounded with very practical advice to follow, almost like these mini sort of mm-hmm. essays that are very easy to to digest and read. So um, I know that after reading it, I wanted to go out and enroll in some sort of a traditional martial arts dojo or something. So um, yeah, I, I think it's great how you've, you've achieved this balance, I think. Great. Thank you. Appreciate it. Angel, as I think about you know what you said in regards to the way that you know, modern men are 
sort of informed as to how they're supposed to be by the media, by, mm -hmm. by our culture and society um, and, and, and its institutions. Um, it does make me wonder because I, in part, in part of your book, you write about this idea of community and being part mm -hmm. of a community that, you know, is beneficial and, mm -hmm. and that one can ultimately serve in. Um, and yet, uh, many of the communities in, in our modern world, uh, are, are really just reinforcing the sort of negative stereotype yeah. of men yeah, yeah. that we're trying to, to, to overcome. Mm -hmm. So how do, how do you kind of navigate that situation? Yeah, that's true. And I think, you know, one thing that, that in that case is that these groups are essentially intellectual groups and, um, you know, everybody wants to be an intellectual because it sounds like, Oh, I'm, I have a greater insight into life and, and greater understanding of life than other people. But uh, intellectuals have a tendency to get lost in their own ideas and are, are disengaged and uh, unattached to actual reality, which is why, you know, when intellectuals come up with concepts about how society should work and those societies are put into practice, the inevitable result is disaster and very often uh, extreme poverty and death for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, so, yeah, if you join an intellectual group, uh, they, well, quote-unquote intellectual, um, you know, they, of course, will absorb the latest ideas of society. That is true. And uh, one of the sad things about Western society today is that pe people who call themselves thinkers or who think of themselves as thinkers uh, usually never thought anything original in their, in their entire lives. And you can hear their opinions, you know, all around you all day from the media to people talking on the subway. And the intellectual just thinks that because he has a college degree and says these same stupid things that, uh, that he is somehow an intellectual. That's not true. Uh, so, you know, you, you and, and again, you know, this is a reflection of um, extreme unbalance in um, in Western society and um, the downgrading of reality itself. And, you know, I don't think that it is one thing. I don't think it's all the media. I think it's a perfect storm of different different things. You know, uh, you know, one, another reason why people are not interested in the body is because, uh, well, it, it, it is, um, you know, this idea propagated in spirituality that my body is just a used car that I drive around and I can discard it later on and it's worthless, uh, which is completely false. But even more than that, it's the implicit idea of uh, social media that my avatar is my true self and my physical self is somehow just a, just a shadowy reflection. And uh, the is kind of unreal. And, um, you know, so really in the 21st century, as it progresses, it will be more and more important to get touch, in touch with our body and in touch with physical reality. And so, you know, to, to people who are wondering, uh, well, what kind of group should I join? Well, not an intellectual group. You, sh you should join a group that is based in physical reality. So a martial art where if, um, you know, if, if you if you do some kind of um, martial art move to defend yourself and you get beaten up and then cold reality will, uh, will um, shine its light upon you and you will be faced, uh, forced to recognize that it didn't work and you need to adjust to reality, not 
reality needs to adjust to you. And, uh, you know, another factor, of course, is uh, take up some kind of um, art or some kind of manual skill, whether that's, you know, fine art, painting or playing a, a musical instrument or custom building motorcycles or something. We, we need to get back in touch with our uh, physical reality. And, uh, you know, if you can do that in a group, so much the better. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not poo-pooing all groups that are based on a shared worldview or uh, intellectual pursuits. They're, they can be good. But what you need in that case is people who are accomplished in different fields uh, and who have, uh, who have a grounding in physical reality and in the body, who aren't just all thinking or all regurgitating ideas that you can hear on the TV any day of the week. Yeah, that's really great advice. And as much as I love the Internet, uh, what you're saying is 100% correct as far as I can tell. Yeah, if I could just interject, I mean, we seem to find ourselves in a generation or a couple generations that seem very reluctant about the idea of joining any sort of organization or group or yeah, affiliating yeah. with any cause. Um, mm -hmm. And this is, of course, something that Freemasonry is is wrestling with right now with our membership numbers. And yes, yeah. you know, how do we, I'm just thinking out loud, how do we engage with men, I guess, to, to show mm -hmm. them the real benefits of joining us, some sort of a group? Mm. Yeah, well, that, that's difficult. You know, it's especially d difficult in a time when um, everything is not accessible online, but there's a simulacra of everything you could want online, right? Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I, I do remember many years, probably about a decade ago, when um, Greg was interviewing a um, you know spiritual guru, and I don't know if, if Greg remembers this, but he had his own Facebook group. And at one point he makes the remark that, well, why, as one of his students said, why would anyone join Freemasonry when you can join a Facebook group? Which um, is really a sign of total degradation and spiritual degradation that the youth think joining a Facebook group of, of faceless individuals is somehow equivalent to being in a, a group of, um, you know, people in your area and meeting physically regularly it's you know completely i mean it's it's uh, would be regarded as uh, madness in any other time quite honestly but you know people aren't used to having these communities or, i mean real communities where people are meeting and doing things together and you have to accommodate people with different ideas and different beliefs and social backgrounds and, and meeting people that you wouldn't normally meet and having to you know uh, get along with them and um, you know people are more and more compartmentalized as well of course and uh, more and more told to tiptoe around each other so that we in a sense don't even really know the people we're around often uh, certainly you know in a work environment you, you obviously you're going to say less and less about yourself and keep it as superficial as possible but uh, yeah, so, you know, I don't think there's any easy fix. So I would say with Freemasonry that, uh, and, you know, this would apply to other groups as well, that uh, quantity is a good thing to, certain, to a certain degree, but quality is better. And right now, Freemasonry still has several hundred thousand members in the U.S. and more across the world. And if it, even if it were to get to, 10,000, which would be 
infinitely uh, larger than virtually every occult group out there, or in fact, larger than every occult group out there. You know, although it would be small in comparison, if you had a high quality uh, members, then I think that that would almost be preferable. And there will be a downside to it, but but quality is more important and quality of experience is more important than, than quantity. So that's not necessarily a tragedy, but um, I mean, I, I do foresee that more people will join groups like that because uh, it's the only way to kind of step out of the uh, simulacra of reality uh, that that is presented as the absolute truth today, and to uh, to experience, in a sense, almost anything real. So we'll we'll see. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Angel, there's actually a great quote I just wanted to touch on that was in, I believe, chapter one of your book. It really jumped out at me. Um, just want to read it quickly, if I may. Mm -hmm. It says, uh, take control of your life. Make things. Develop your body. Respect the great martial artists and the great poets. When men have nothing that they are passionate about, nothing concrete that they love and find engaging, nothing that they can mold with their own hands and through their own sweat, they become fanatics about ideas, ideologies, and theories which although filling them with a sense of purpose, slowly drains the life out of them. And I just thought, you know, wow, that was a great observation. Um, it really became self-evident to me just during the whole COVID pandemic and lockdown. Mm -hmm. I really began to notice sort of the types of people who unfortunately begin to fall kind of into the more, I guess you could say fanatical sides of both, mm -hmm. you know, the anti-vax and the pro-vax yeah, yeah. movement and sort of the, bitter culture wars that started to erupt out of all that. Um, you know, people yeah. who had some sort of a sense of balance already before that mm -hmm. all hit in their life, you know, some sort of a, a spiritual tradition or, you know, physical activity, a strong sense of self seemed to fare the best, I think, during that whole mess. And then yeah, on, right. yeah, on the flip side, what I noticed is that the more sort of aimless social media addicted consumerist types easily seem to become more radicalized, you could say, more mm -hmm. angry. They sort of gather together in these camps on either side because really they had nothing else in their life that's that's going on. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, and, and politics and identity politics for, for many people is a drug. Mm -hmm. uh, there's no, no two ways about it. it. You know, it prevents them from really living their lives the way, you know, hard drugs would and, uh, and really sucks them in and drains their energy in a very similar way. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, human beings were not created to be, you know, worried about ideas to this extent or, or fanatical about ideas, ideas that, you know, they generally would never put into practice anyway, but all the constantly change uh, throughout the years, you know, what, what politics said we must believe today is the exact opposite of what it said we should believe a few years ago and it, it constantly changes um you know in a sense it, to, to keep us um fixated on it that we, we always there always has to be a new disaster we always have to change our mind because our minds six months ago were you know oppressive or whatever and and what we believe today we we won't even remember that we believed in 15 years from now. We were, in fact, most people wouldn't even believe that they believed in it. They will have changed so much. Mm -hmm. And it will continue like this and left and right change positions all the time. You know, for, for example, it's, it's the right that's now championing women's rights. Well, two years ago, it was the left. So, you know, it's not even 
a matter of political sides. But yeah, the only way out of this um, truly strange behavior and uh, really a behavior that is uh, a result of um, probably of long-term stress, but possibly also of mental illness as well for some people uh, is to get back to reality and uh, to get back to the physical world. And that doesn't mean returning to a you know, 2.5 children and two parents type lifestyle with a 1950s morality um, <clears throat> that was already degenerate in another way, or at least the, the 1950s mentality was, is already warped and broken. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, it does mean that uh, I would say disengaging from social media quite a bit and focusing more on what, what you can do to positively improve your life. Uh, that's really going to be much more important, not only for you, but for everyone down the road, you know, because you won't be spreading all this hate around. So mm -hmm. that will be better. Yeah, thank you. And I think your book really can help people establish that kind of sense of routine and spiritual discipline that is going to yeah. ultimately benefit them. So, yeah, hopefully. Yeah, I agree. And speaking of which, uh, this idea of discipline and a lot of the behaviors and mm -hmm. activities that you're talking about here um i think would rightly fall under sort of the rubric of virtue virtuous mm -hmm. activities mm -hmm. and i'm just wondering if you can talk a little bit about virtue why it's important and and maybe even help us better understand what virtue even is as this more classical mm -hmm. idea of like finding the mean between extremes. Right, right. Yeah, well, so the word virtue actually comes from uh, the word virtus, which meant, really meant man, masculine virtues. And then today, of course, or later on, it became associated with a feminine. So a virtuous lady was a virgin and wore long dresses down to the ankles and so on. So it completely changed its meaning. But, but yeah, going to the mean between things, um, I mean, this is especially related to Aristotle's uh, philosophy, of course, so that you want to find the golden mean between extremes. So, you know, what, what is bravery? Well, bravery is the mean between cowardice and rashness. Rashness, you rush into a situation uh, to take charge, in, in, in but are ill-equipped to really deal with it. So you're going to be defeated or hurt or you're just not going to have a successful outcome. So that's rashness where you just rush in. And then cowardice, of course, is where you you know shy away from engaging uh, uh, even at a great cost to yourself and certainly at cost to other people. And then bravery is the mean between the two. It's not rushing in without thinking and being ill-prepared and it's not being uh, uh, too... Uh, uh, self-restrained to act it's, it's somewhere between the two you act with um you know the with all of your sort of uh strengths that you can muster really in all of your experience whether whether you succeed or fail but the, you but there is at least some chance of success or maybe there's not but you can at least make some a difference so a brave soldier might know that he's going to die facing a hundred enemies, but he also knows it might, they say, give other people time to escape. So that would be bravery, right? Not rashness or cowardice. 
But, uh, you know, I think it's interesting the way language changes. And, uh, you know, today, of course, we are concerned, especially with uh, safety and vulnerability or being vulnerable. And being vulnerable is the, the latest uh, sort of buzz phrase, I noticed. And, of course, this has come out of this uh, culture of, of needing safety. And, you know, first of all, um, you know, these these debates about safety and vulnerability were really cleared up a couple of thousand years ago by Aristotle. So we don't really need to engage in them. But of course, um, you know, how many people in society, including media pundits or maybe even some intellectuals, how many of them have actually read Aristotle? Very few, right? Mm -hmm. So they don't even know the foundation of uh, Western civilization. Um, even though they're always criticizing it. So, you know, this this argument about safety and vulnerability was cleared up, you know, two millennia ago. But, you know, certainly the fixation on safety is unhealthy and makes people less able to act in the world. And uh, vulnerability or being vulnerable has been redefined, I notice, uh, and is kind of taken in a new way. Uh, somebody asked about vulnerability when I was speaking at a conference recently. So, I made a point of looking up uh, the word vulnerable after, and the first article uh, that that came up in the search results um, after you know dictionary definitions, the first article that came up um, was talking about how to be vulnerable in it. And the first example it gave of being vulnerable and why, why we should be vulnerable uh, was it said, uh, you know, if you're the owner of a company and you find out that one of your employees uh, is looking after a, you know, sick child, meaning I think terminally sick or very sick child, that you should be vulnerable uh, by reaching out and, you know, calling and expressing your um, your regrets for this. And I, I, think, I think in this sense, what the term vulnerable actually means is uh, you should narcissistically think that by doing the right thing, uh, that you need to be praised and that you need to feel special. You know, if you know someone who's looking after a sick child and they're your employee, just pick up the phone. You don't need to debate about, oh, I feel vulnerable and look how special I am. Yeah. And, um, you know, it is this uh, part of this narcissistic culture where it's all focused on on me or at least on my not even feelings, I think, on my perception, on my self-perception. And again, this is very much um, probably what is inevitable in a culture that is detached from the body and detached from physical reality and detached from any sort of community, meaning community in the traditional sense where we people meet physically together or are in the same proximity uh, on a regular basis and have to deal with each other with each other in the physical world you know when you live in a time where you know everything can be intellectualized and those ideas are never tested anyway and when they're a disaster who cares we've moved on to another set of ideas anyway and we're detached from the body um you know then you can play narcissistic games with your emotions oh, well, I was vulnerable because I did the right thing. Well, just do the right thing. You know, yeah. I mean, what about, you know, what about all these men over the millennia that were called up to go and fight in war? They didn't sit around thinking they were vulnerable. They just went to fight. And uh, many of them were killed and many of them came, came back uh, completely broken with their minds shattered and their bodies broken. 
they weren't narcissistically sitting around, oh, I'm vulnerable because I picked up the phone or something. It's completely, completely alien. And, um, you know, you know, maybe people think, well, shouldn't these people just be allowed to think that? And yeah, I'm sure, of course they should. But I'm not saying it to really criticize people. I'm saying it because these people, are, uh, in the sense, are the victims of their own thoughts. Um, you know, they're not happy. They're certainly not fulfilled, um, you know, they're too wrapped up in their own minds to be fulfilled. Fulfilled is when you give yourself away, you know, you put all your energy into doing something and you're exhausted at the end of it. And, you you know, if you go to a martial arts school and you get sort of a bit beaten up and you have some bruises and it was an intense uh, experience because you thought you might get really hurt and you did your best, you come away feeling amazing. Um, but, you know, if you're constantly sitting around debating, well, was I vulnerable enough? What about my safety? You're going to end up a really miserable person and really suffering. And no wonder there are so many uh, people who feel that they're suffering from uh, mental illnesses or emotional illnesses or whatever it may be, because they're too caught up in their own minds. Yeah. I, if I could just follow up, really, the the way you're describing this self-centeredness and versus you know care for others or yeah. sort of like going outwards it's like very much one or the other like you can't be really both yeah. you can't be self-concerned and be caring about others at the same moment and you're right the self-concern overwhelms and people fall into like a black hole of it mm -hmm. and yeah. seem to can't climb out and i feel like it's not just virtue that's called for here what, what you're describing is actually like in many ways uh sort of heroic effort and i think mm -hmm. i'm just wondering if if you would agree with that on some level uh, yeah heroic effort and i think uh, you know to be honest i was thinking about this this week so maybe i'm not going to formulate it in the most perfect way ever. But I think what, what's needed is that we become conscious and, um, you know, p not to be political or, or to relate to politics, but, you, you know, uh, there is, of course, the idea of progress or of, you know, reacting against progress. And I, I think that you can, you can go with the times. You know, everybody says, well, you have to change with the times. But, I, you know, uh, except for... Uh, people are a bit more thoughtful, and if you if you listen to um, uh, uh, in, influential marketing gurus, for example, that they would never give you the advice to go with the times. They always give you advice to go against the times, and uh, and to do something different, which is generally a good idea. But uh, if you want to stand out, but uh, I think you know you can go with the times. Uh, you can go against the times, and you can stay where you are. And I think you know all three positions in a sense you can do consciously or unconsciously and i would say probably 90 percent of the western world is is caught up in an unconscious motion that they go with the times or they go against the times or they stay where they are but where they are because they're essentially unconscious and they're just doing what they uh, heard in the media yesterday or this morning or what their friends said. And, they, you know, very often think of themselves as intellectuals, but they've never had an original thought in their life. And they've certainly never thought through all of the things they have an opinion about. And, um, you know, I think in a sense, the, the warrior 
um, is someone who is conscious and is doing something consciously. So you can get swept along uh, towards uh, whatever the latest trend is unconsciously, or you can consciously change um, uh, thinking about all of the possibilities and you kind of align yourself to this trajectory for the time being. Or you can, you know, stagnate, or which would be unconscious, or you can consciously stand your ground, or you can go against the times in a sort of unconscious reactive way, or you can uh, see where the, um, where the clear problems are with the trajectory of the majority and, um, and realize that maybe it's good to go against that, that the unconscious flow uh, and, and go against it consciously. So going with standing your ground or going against, you can do this consciously or unconsciously, but the warrior does it consciously he's making actual conscious decisions which is not to say that uh, in the warrior arts or the fine arts or music or writing or any kind of a skill that requires mastery at a certain point that you aren't transcending a conscious thought because you definitely will and, and must to become a master but but I, I would say the warrior is someone who who is conscious of his direction in life whereas 90 plus percent are unconscious and simply swept one direction or the other. Angel, we've touched on this a bit earlier, but maybe we could kind of return to it. Um, a reoccurring theme that I found running all through your new book is this question of what it means truly to be a man, because, mm -hmm. uh, you know, obviously we have a very skewed, yeah, confused yeah. view of what that means nowadays. So mm -hmm. I think on, on both sides of the political spectrum, really. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, I was reminded actually of a conversation I had a long time ago with a, a Catholic priest once, and he said something that always kind of stuck with me. Um, mm -hmm. It was something to the effect of, you know, in the ancient and medieval world, a true measure of a man, what it really means to be a man was so much more than just his brute strength or his, mm -hmm. you know, skill in battle. You know, those things were obviously still very important, but mm -hmm. a true measure of a man was more relative to his relationship and his standing within his family and then mm -hmm. in a wider sense within his sort of community or his tribe. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you truly wanted to be a man, be a mentor to another man, help someone out who mm -hmm. is maybe struggling and, and build him up. It's not always about mm -hmm. being sort of macho or being this sort of alpha male. That's not no. necessarily what you're going to be remembered for. And I no, thought about that a lot right. as I was reading over your book, would you mm -hmm. agree with this statement? And I guess building off of that, how can we begin to sort of reclaim the definition mm -hmm. of classical manliness today? Yeah, well, I think I think his definition is vague, um, you know, in that, y yes, you know, the, the mark of a true man was his standing in the community, but the community at the same time were defining what it is to be a man, right? And generally speaking, that meant, you know, that you were, good at violence in some degree and uh, that you are cultured as well and again you know coming back to this um uh this strange unity of uh what today we would describe as the masculine and the feminine in the warrior uh so you know so the greatest warriors as i say were you know great poets or, or whatever have you as well great thinkers and, and had a spiritual practice and and cultivated themselves you know um you know, C.S. Lewis talks about the warrior having this double demand that he's supposed to be fierce in battle, 
but meek in civilized society. Probably, I think C.S. Lewis would say, especially towards women, you know, you want to be polite and you don't want to impose yourself on women or use that violence against women. I think we would all agree with that. But, you know, I think that's still a shallow definition. It, the, the true warrior isn't just fierce in battle. I mean, he's a master of the martial arts, yes, but it's not that he's just supposed to be meek in civilized society. He's supposed to be cultured. And that's how he becomes, you know, a person of culture, right? by cultivating poetry or fine art, by practicing a religion and by thinking deeply. And, uh, you know, so, yeah, so, yeah, it is true that a mark of a man was his reputation in society. But those with the best reputation tended to be uh, men who are uh, were very much equipped at violence. And then as society became civilization, um, the men that we respected were also uh, uh, men of uh, a culture, a culture and learning as well. But but the the martial arts were were a part of that, and um, you know even going back to the ancient Greek philosophy, Plato insisted that education had to be through wrestling, uh, music, and uh, through philosophy. So it was these three things together. Or if you look at uh, Sufism. Uh, Sufism in the 12th century uh, integrated not only Islamic mysticism, but also the, uh, the, the, the structure of the trade guilds, and it adopted the, uh, the, the chivalric code of uh, Islam as well, Fatawa. Mm. So it integrated the mystic, the, the warrior, and uh, the, the craftsperson as well. Uh, so yeah, uh, Reputation, yes, that is true, but I think it is about, well, it is integrating these different aspects uh, in a form of self-mastery, right, mm -hmm. which gives you confidence. Uh, and confidence, you know, the thing about martial arts and, and violence as well is that, of course, you learn how to be violent, that is true, but you are also practicing not using it as well, or using it as minimally as possible. And... Um, you know, just to give you a small anecdote about, you know, men, maybe not so much today, of course, because there are different, you know, possibilities for men who can be incredibly uh, feminine today. And, you know, and I, and I have a mixed background in that regard as well, though, if you want, we can go into briefly. But, you know, when I first started martial arts a few decades ago, you know, I remember there were about four guys who turned up one day posing, flexing, presenting themselves as really tough guys. Within three minutes of the class, they were all sweating, heaving, and couldn't do what everybody else could do. And that includes, you know, four or five women, you know, of 20 years old. And they struggled every time. They were clearly much weaker and flabbier than everyone else. But, but every time they would come, would present themselves as tough guys. They would only ever come together. They couldn't, they couldn't just come one of them at a time. And, uh, you know, and I emphasize joining a group, and that is important. But, you know, I think, you know, one, one clarification I would say today is you want to join that group alone. You don't want to go with your friends and you don't want to go every single time with your friends. You need to walk into those places alone. And, you know, uh, that's true of martial arts. You need the guts to just walk in, see what it's like, try it out. Most people are going to be very nice to you. 
But it's also the case in other areas of life. You know, when you listen to um, business consultants, they almost always say they don't like partnerships because generally the, the partnership is based on the person with the ideas being too nervous to do it by themselves. And you, you have to go out alone, even into a group. Yeah, it's a really good example, yeah. It's interesting, I was just thinking as you are talking, um, Greg and I have been reading a lot of Valentin Tomberg lately, a, mm-hmm. a philosopher, and he yeah. talks a, a lot about the the spiritual role of man as well, which is kind of mm-hmm. explicitly linked back to this idea of restoring justice, you know, bringing mm-hmm. order out of chaos. Yeah, you know, the, this yeah. was something that most societies and certainly the ancient Near mm-hmm. East had a, a real handle on. This idea yeah. of man bringing creation back in line with the right order of the divine. That was sort of the, mm-hmm. the original job description of man you, that you can mm-hmm. think about. Um, you know, in the Genesis account of the Bible, <clears throat> you know, mm-hmm. Adam is naming the animals. He's tending to the earth as sort of a guardian and protector. So I think yeah. keeping this, this sort of higher role in mind is very important because we tend to yeah. get so distracted by the sort of trendy politics of the modern right. age. But it really does come down to this original mission of stewardship, I think, stewardship of our own yeah. lives, um, setting mm-hmm. things in order, restoring balance. Um, yeah. You know, that's sort of the, the higher function, I think, our, our true role as men. Yeah. yeah. Well, you mentioned the word justice, and in the Masonic ritual, I don't know if this is in every jurisdiction, but uh, in some jurisdictions, at least, it says that justice should be your guide. And today we have all kinds of concepts about justice that, that um, classical civilizations wouldn't recognize at all and would think were completely crazy. But uh, justice um, is based on the idea of proportion, right? So, if the so the punishment should fit the crime but if you if you work for someone and your coworker gets all of the rewards and you do all of the work that's also unjust right so the rewards should also um, fit the effort as well so uh, justice is based on proportion and proportion of course leads us back to the idea of harmony civilization itself is uh, is based on proportion so law is based on proportion uh, dire is based on proportion uh, it's pro- proportional to your body size and the amount of energy that you're using up so that if you're working in a field all day uh, you're going to eat more food than if you're laying in bed all day right mm-hmm. uh, <clears throat> or if you're you know if you're six foot you're going to eat more food than someone who's three foot or a child, for example. Uh, So it's based on proportion. And then you get into higher realms as well, such as, um, uh, well, I'm sure mathematicians would talk about the the beauty of of numbers, but certainly in art, for example, in the fine art, you you have proportion in the fine arts, right? So if you paint someone's portrait, all of those uh, features need to be in proportion to the features of the person you're painting. Well, architecture, everything is in proportion to the human body. So the ceiling is a couple of feet above the head. The door is, you know, a little wider uh, than the sides of the body and so on. So it's proportionate to the human body and the space we need to live as human beings. And today, of course, no one talks about proportion because, um, you know, our, our society is in a certain sense is, a, is extremist. And it's extremist in one direction, and then after a few dire- after a few decades, it'll, it floods back, and it's extremist in the other direction. And um, you know, proportion. And you know, I mentioned that 
my belief that the warrior is someone who is conscious. Well, one of the things that the warrior has to be conscious about is proportion, right? And, you know, in, in regards to the warrior, of course, that means such things as how much you train, what you eat. Um, but it also means, uh, you know, how you treat your enemies as well. And if you look back to societies where chivalry was important and was embodied by the warriors themselves, you find that they actually have respect for the enemy. We, we don't even have respect for people with different ideas to us today. And we actively disrespect them. But, you know, there's a really interesting anecdote about uh, Richard the Lionheart, who was fighting Saladin. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's unproven, but it's, you know, an anecdote that's uh, come through history and, and, and probably is true. And if not, certainly captures the spirit of chivalry. And it's said that uh, it's said that he asked Saladin's brothers uh, to send over uh, some uh, Islamic uh, musicians so that he could listen to you know, Arabic music in the evening one day. And he's also said to have laughed what he heard. And, um, you know, today, politically left or right, um, you know, we always try and degrade the other side. And chivalry, you know, with this cultivation in the idea of chivalry, you cultivate, yeah, the warrior arts, but also poetry or a sense of beauty, a sense of the spiritual, a sense of the sacred. You know, it does mean that you can you can even fight someone and, and but still respect them and, and really appreciate their culture and express your appreciation for their culture. And, th and that, if anything, that is the higher man. And the lower man is this person who degrades everything even the best of values you know people today will try and degrade people who are beautiful or who work out and say oh these people are monsters like can't you just appreciate that this person works out and is healthy and fit you know or you know they don't they don't like this person's opinion and that person's a, an artist or oh, we don't like his art it's horrible you know can't you just appreciate it for what it is you can disagree with his politics or her politics you don't have to degrade people. And, and the problem for people that do that is not only do they cut themselves off from uh, from a source of, uh, to say, spiritual nourishment and personal growth, because if you attack things that are good, you can't embody them. And that's what happens on both sides. So they end up attacking everything that's good. And then they end up, you know, these sort of couch potatoes who, you know, just uh, these keyboard warriors because what can they do you know they've attacked everything except the idea of attacking other people mm -hmm. and um you know so it's it's essential to have this respect and even love for other people that you dis you know maybe not dislike but that you disagree with or an opponent to and i'm not saying we should go around opposing other people but you know have respect for other the best of other people even if you disagree with them fervently you know that's what makes us human. Mm -hmm. Thank you for that. Yeah, it's interesting. Throughout the book, I found like certain little sections where you're just so articulate. And I don't, this is sort of related to what you were saying, not directly, but if I could just read this section. Sure. Um, you said it might be different for each person, but often those who do not train the body find their aggression manifesting through their intellect. Those who neglect the gut, refusing to take risks, are hypersensitive to every little trial or tribulation and believe mm -hmm. that they are in a constant battle. Those yeah. who do not cultivate the heart 
fall in love with themselves. Yeah. And that's I'm glad just I said really that. powerful. <laughs> that's just really powerful yeah. statement. And yeah. I think it's powerful because it's true. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and, you know, I have noticed that, you know, and life is hard, you know, it is, you know, and, you know, I'm a good, I would say I'm a good acquaintance of Mitch Horowitz. And if you read his books, well, I think one thing that becomes clear is, you know, he's a proponent of um, positive thinking and, um, you know, he's not a proponent of positive thinking because he thinks life is easy and it's all wishful thinking. He knows from a tough childhood, life is really hard. And you can either equip yourself to deal with the harsh reality of the world, or you can be crushed by it. And my concern for younger people in particular is that they are insulated from the world and they are told that they shouldn't take risks and it will crush them and they won't know why. But, you know, from what I have seen, people that don't take risks, they end up, you know, they end up full of hate, full of anger. They blame other people, but they hate themselves as well secretly. You know, and I, I was lucky. Um, and I was lucky to be very unlucky when I was young. You know, I, I did all kinds of horrible manual jobs. I left school at 16. My future was absolutely hopeless. I mean, I was, uh, there, there was no way I could even envision living, living to the age of 40, to be honest with you. I thought I'd be dead long before that. And, uh, you know, when I, I may have mentioned this before, but when I was uh, tw 20, after a very, very uh, intense year, one of the most intense years of my life, you know, I woke up and my lungs were bleeding, a spat of blood all over the sink. Oh. It was very dramatic. But, uh, you know, at 20, when your lungs are bleeding, and I was a non-smoker, I should point out, um, you know, on top of having an extremely unstable life without really any prospects of uh, earning a decent living at any time in the future, you know, that's a real wake-up call. And it, it was the best thing that ever happened to me because um, that and other horrible, stressful things throughout my life made me change my life. You know, I didn't, I had no safety net. If I failed, I was going to die. And that was the end of it. And, you know, and, you know, I know, you know, I knew other people that had done pretty financially okay, not, you know, weren't wealthy, but were comfortable by the age of 2021. 20, and, um, you know, and had a good job or whatever. And that wasn't the case for me. And, uh, you know, when you, that seems like good luck, but what it means is you'll be less likely and less able to take any risks later on. And with this culture of safety, you know, we have to protect people from ideas we have to protect people from words hey i i don't care you do you but you will never be any competition for me because i can take risks and you will never be able to take any meaningful risks it's going to be too hard for you and you know uh, th these people think of themselves as victims and in one sense they are absolutely correct but they're not the they're not victims of what they think they're victims of they are the victims of a society that says we will protect you. The most important thing is that you're safe um, and your feelings are safe uh, because they will not be able to take any risks. And if without taking any risks, they will not get anywhere in life. And more importantly, perhaps, they will never be uh, become who they should be. They will never fulfill their true potential. 
uh, it's impossible. To do that, you have to take risks. Uh, you know, there's a, a, a story I talk about in the, um, in the book about uh, two Japanese monks who came to, um, came to America in the, I think, the first half of the 20th century. And uh, one of the monks uh, fell in love with America and wanted to stay. And his, he was with his master. And one day his master picked up his, uh, the disciples' bags and took him to uh, the Golden Gate Bridge Park in San Francisco, where they were, where they were living in that uh, city. And, and said, uh, put his bag down and said, see if the city conquers you or if you conquer it and walked off and never saw him again. Uh, but, you know, the monk that stayed ended up becoming one of the early um, proponents of Zen Buddhism in America and, and you know, uh, sort of introduced Zen Buddhism to America. Um, but, uh, you know, that's, that's the attitude. See if the city conquers you or if you conquer it. See if life conquers you or if you conquer life. Not... I need to be safe or I need people to protect me. Um, the problem with people protecting you is you're reliant on their goodwill to not turn around and victimize you. And plenty of those people that you rely on for your safety, they will victimize you either intellectually or physically at some point in the future. Uh, you will not be free to make your own decisions. Yeah. If we're talking about reality, there can be no reliance on human beings at all. No, not at all. Thank you. And that's a very, you know, that's a very bleak message for people that, you know, no one is here to keep us safe. But their history shows us the more we rely on other people for our safety, uh, the more vulnerable to being exploited or, you know, even killed uh, we become. So, you know, you well, do have you to. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, most people can't re even rely on themselves for themselves so right how can you rely on other people really right exactly yeah and i have to say I, not only are you one of the best writers i know but absolutely one of the most interesting people that i know and i'm really grateful to uh oh, thank you to be able to call your friend and um just the work like you've done over the years is is really tremendous and i'm i'm really happy that uh you're able to share it with everybody and i uh, oh, appreciate you. you doing so here today yeah thank you and you know and people may feel that i'm uh, criticizing them and you know if you feel that i am but it's not because you know i'm a hateful individual who wants to criticize <laughs> you it's because it's because i think you're worth criticizing and that you can live an amazing life and what i don't want to do is what i see a lot of writers doing and that is going around to different groups and saying oh, you know, you're the greatest. And then they go to the opposite group and they say the same thing because they just want to sell books. You know, I, I want to sell books, but I'd rather change people's lives for the better. And, uh, you know, people who feel, you know, angry, stuck, hateful, you know, I, you know, I don't blame them. Look at the way our emotions are manipulated every day online. But, you know, you, all I'm saying is check out of that. You know, take take manageable risks and improve yourself mentally, physically, spiritually. Find something you love, and you will contribute to the world and to your own life in ways that are unimaginable to you now. Thank you. Mm -hmm. So, I just need to ask: Do you have any new projects in the works? Are you writing anything new? Or yeah, so I always have new projects in the works. So, uh, I'm working on a book on um, 
self-development and self-hypnosis. In a, in a sense, it's a, it's a kind of um, course in self-development through self-hypnosis, but also through more practical uh, daily uh, exercises, uh, which are you know entirely integrated into your life, so that you wouldn't need to uh, you wouldn't need to do additional things. It's really you know, rectifying your diet, sleep, meditation, this kind of thing, reading. Um, so that, so that's one project, and um, probably after that, I've already written it, but um, you know I'm also wrapping up a work on a work of um, sort of visionary. Um, prose poetry, a kind of cross between <clears throat> Nietzsche's Thus Spake Zarathustra and Khalil Gibran's The Prophet with, uh, with a lot of um, uh, essays on religion and initiation and spirituality. So th those are the next two. And other than that, I'll, I'll just be uh, trying to work uh, more on myself. Excellent. Well, I really great. look forward to that. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, thank well. you. Please remember, we're in the midst of our meditations on the Tarot Study Circle that is open to all Chamber of Reflection paid members. In September, we'll be meeting to discuss justice, and you should join us. And in the second half of our interview, again available to members at chamberofreflection.com and our Patreon, Angel Millar delves deeply into the circumstances which bind us and potential solutions. We also chat about the state of the world, society, and a future that most of us never imagined. Join us for that compelling conversation. And I'd like to remind you that although you're able to listen to this podcast at no charge, it costs time and money to create. We ask you to support our efforts in the creation of future podcasts by joining the membership section at chamberofreflection.com or subscribing via Patreon at patreon.com slash occult of personality. As always, if you're already supporting the show or have done so in the past, my heartfelt thanks, and I salute you.